This is Tom Schmidlin, Beer Drinker of the Year, and you're listening to Craft Beer Radio, episode 33, March 2nd, 2006. Welcome to Craft Beer Radio, the show for craft beer and the craft brewing industry. I am Jeff Bear, and I am Greg Weiss. Uh, welcome to the show this week. Uh, welcome back, I guess, to the show. We had a couple hiccups and a week off, and all the other stuff, and an illness, and some yeah. other things. And we're doing milk in sweet stouts this evening. You can tell Jeff's voice is still a little bit low from the stuff going on. And yeah, and I'm still coughing a little bit, but it should still be doable. Actually, that pre-show beer helped my cough, so excellent. Beers do help, don't they? Beers beers are good for you. Is there anything beer doesn't fix? <laughs> Craft Beer Radio Multi-Brew Experiment Version 1 will be shipping out tomorrow. See all those boxes, Greg? That's everyone's multi-brew. Wow. So I have to uh, fill out a bunch of FedEx forms and ship those SOBs out. Well, we certainly want to ship those SOBs out. Like we always say, sudsgear.com, coupon code is CBR, you 10% get, off. You get 10% off. There are several ways you can send us feedback. You can leave a comment on our website, which is craftbeerradio.com. You can vote for us on Podcast Alley and leave a comment. You can send an email or audio comment to the address beer at craftbeerradio.com. You can give Jeff a phone call. Sure. <laughs> but you can't call our beer line because no. that thing is still not Beer ours. line's gone. But look up Jeff in the, in the phone book and who knows. Actually, my number's in the media kit, so if you want to give me a call. <laughs> Let's jump on the news. Yeah, absolutely. Beer Drinker of the Year is crowned. Hooray! Yes, this is the Beer Drinker of the Year that is at Winecoop. Winecoop Brewery. I keep saying wanting to say Wincoop because it's spelled <laughs> W-Y-N-K-O-O-P. The winner was crowned on February 25th in Denver. It's Tom Schmidlin, 36, from Seattle, a former mechanical engineer and computer programmer. He is currently working on his doctorate in biochemistry at the University of Wisconsin. He's also dun, 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 craft beer radio listener. Exactly. We we uh, spoke. We haven't spoke to him yet. We contacted him by email. We congratulated him, and he said, "Hey, I like your show." He's been listening to us. He said we were in Denver with him. So sweet. <laughs> he might call in this evening, and we'll do a interview okay. during the bribe the judges block. He isolated and cultivated yeast strains from a bottle of rogue chocolate stout, presenting each judge with a purse test tube of his of the proprietary yeast. <laughs> Schmidlin gained considerable points with vertical tasting of three years of Dogfish Head Worldwide Stout. Wow. It's, uh, three years, I mean, because it's 21%, 18%. That's a lot of beer to yeah. be drinking and, and to have a... For his extraordinary wow. display of beer prowess, Schmidlin won free beer for life at the Wine Coop Brewery and $250 worth of beer at Big Time Brewery and Alehouse in Seattle. His local watering hole. And I am jealous that he lives close to big time. That's a yeah. cool place. Interesting that he did that yeast thing because he's working on his doctorate in biochemistry. I bet he was, had, he had the equipment available to do such yeah, things. He, he's a yeast geek. Yeah. That's uh, part of the article I didn't put in here. But. Well, that's cool. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of yeast. They're, they're, they're neat. It's hop rhizome time. I got an email yesterday from northernbrewer.com that they are taking orders for their hop rhizomes. So if you want to go get some planted this year, go check your favorite vendor and get your orders placed. Hmm. I ordered um, two rhizomes of Fugles hops. Rhizomes are um, like... The female like, part of the root vine, and that's like because hops don't have seeds. So do you use them for splicing? Do you use them for you plant grafting? Them. You plant, you them, plant and them, and they start a new plant. 
yeah, since I got the house ordered, or, you know, moving into the new house, um, I ordered some hops. Hopefully, I won't be too late to plan them when I move in the middle of April. Hmm. On April 7th, breweries all over America will raise a pint in celebration of the day that beer once again became legally available at the end of Prohibition, which was the full repeal came on, Jan- on December 5th, 1933, and the amendment to Prohibition legalized beer with 3.2% alcohol by weight, starting on April 7th of that year. So basically, April 7th, they had an amendment to Prohibition said you had you were allowed to have beer with 3.2% alcohol by weight or 4.0% alcohol by volume before the actual full repeal. So you were able to get some beer session style, I suppose, session beers. The Brewers Association is promoting this. They have a website, brewyearseve.com, and they're going to have a, an event, kind of like the Great Guinness Toast or you know St. Patrick's Day. They're going to have a beer event on April 7th. The Brewers Association also announced Craft Beer Week to be held May 15th through the 21st. This is another event just like the uh, Repeal Prohibition Day where um, they're uh, just promoting craft beer for the week and they want you to go to your local breweries. Well, we have a couple local breweries around here. Um, Penn Brewery, I guess, is one we could go to. Uh, East End, of course, you know, and then there's Iron City, of course. Yeah, the event behind that is the Great American (laughs) Beer Tour. Dot org. You can find out more information on that website. The consumer accumulates the greatest number of points, which you get for brewery visits, etc. We'll get a free trip to the Great American Beer Fest. Oh, really? I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. Actually, All actually, expenses paid trip for I, two. I should read more of these articles. The twenty. It's a 25th Great American Beer Fest. Well, maybe we'll be there this we, year. We have to figure out a way to get there, I Isn't think. It? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Anderson Valley has installed a state-of-the-art photovoltaic system. Photovoltaics is, of course, solar cells. They have, they're now generating 40% of their annual electrical needs through their completed photovoltaic project. Uh, let's see. It's $80,000 project, 175-foot by 53-foot array on the south-facing roof of the brewery's cellar and packaging facility and a separate 120-foot by 24-foot ground-based freestanding array, 125-kilowatt system. Anheuser-Busch signs a distribution deal with Grolsch. This was big news last week. It yeah. All the news things. Basically, you know, they've been approaching all the microbreweries in the country trying to get these distribution deals. Well, I guess they're talking to imports as well. Terms of the deal were not disclosed, but you can expect, you know, Grosch will be a lot more prominent because they're going to have Anheuser-Busch's distribution mm-hmm. and placement arm pushed behind it. Okay, email. Uh, we got some nice email this week. Steve Hayes from Terrapin Beer Company writes, Thanks a lot for reviewing our Rye Pale Ale on your last show. You're welcome. It's great. So our second, I think, was our second favorite. Yeah, we did. Yeah, it was our second favorite mm-hmm. of the evening. Thought he'd email an answer to one of the questions we asked about the beer, which is that he says it's only ten percent rye. Contribute that ten percent to the nice, clean, dry finish that we noticed. Cool. That, that y'all noticed. Y'all noticed. Well, it's awesome. Thank you for writing in. It's always cool hearing from brewers. Larry writes in. I've been having a problem with only your podcast. When I try to update via iTunes, iTunes hangs, and I have to bring up. Windows Task Manager, CPU is pegged at 100%, and I have to kill iTunes. Wow. I'm mentioning this because I want to know if anyone else has noticed this problem with their iTunes on their computer. He's using iTunes on Windows, obviously. Could be something in our feed that's aggravating iTunes, but we shouldn't be able to crash iTunes with our feed. It's obviously a bug in <laughs> iTunes. If we can, then, you know, then either we're doing something very wrong or doing something very right. But I, even I if know. we wanted to crash it, we shouldn't be able to. That's a, <laughs> that's a definite bug in iTunes. But if someone's having a problem with their iTunes freezing... 
with our feed. Let us know. Please. I would recommend maybe he uninstalls, reinstalls iTunes, and if that doesn't work, clear his iTunes out completely through the cache or whatever's in there. But don't do that if you've bought music or whatever. I don't know how that works. No, if you bought, like if you bought music, it music. should still be on your account. But you, uh, okay. But talk to the iTunes that's support about it anyway. And we'll, what support there is, it's pretty meager. Talked about this before. One of the earlier shows, unless you have uh, an Apple product that's under warranty, their support is extremely meager. Fun, fun. Mm-hmm. Matt from New York City writes in, I'd like to tell you that my recent dive into the world of barley warrens has sparked an interest in cellaring. I've never cellared anything before, but as an aspiring grand poobah, I believe that I should know. Do you guys have any tips on what people need to know about cellaring? Uh, you're going to do a little cellaring segment this week. Yeah, he said it'd be a great segment for a show, and I said, you are right. So uh, this evening, we're going to be doing a little segment on cellaring. Okay, very cool. Steve from Lansing, Michigan says, you mentioned the beer gun on one of your podcasts. He says, do we, do we have one? And he'd be interested in our opinion since he keeps debating whether or not to buy one. Well, Jeff. A couple people were curious. That's why I'm answering this on the air. I do have the beer gun. I used it for the first time to bottle a multi-brew experiment. It worked really nice. It's like a $90 piece of equipment, though, with all the, uh-huh. with the additional fittings for the kegs and stuff. So it's a little expensive. I would say you could probably get very similar operation, minus the ability to purge the bottles of CO2, with uh, just some beverage line and a bottling wand. Just push it through the keg under very low pressure through that stuff. Uh, it would fill it just about the same way that the beer gun does. But it all depends on how many bottles you want to fill from kegs and uh, how much money you have for your beer toys. Speaking of which, is there beer left? Yeah, there's a bunch. Because I have some friends at work who want to try it, so... Oh, I actually I think I have two extra bottles. Okay, I didn't. Bo- I only bottled like ten bottles of it, so I drank one so I could check the carbonation on it a couple of days later. So I have two or three. Well, you can bottle a couple more with the beer gun, can't you? Oh, yeah, it just takes I a lot could. to set up and all the other stuff. Yeah, and the hardest part's chilling everything. Well, if it's cold outside, it's easy, but mm-hmm. I don't have a fridge to chill it. So Matt from Pittsburgh writes. He has a quick uh, word about our comments uh, involving the gluten-free honey ale. From Ramapo Valley Brewing. We, we kind of glossed over this, and that's where his comments are based as. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, well, if you can't eat gluten, then I guess it's good. We kind of glossed over it. And uh, his brother dr- has to drink this beer, gluten-free beer. Because he has celiac disease. Celiac disease. He says, to a person who can't have a beer, uh, this beer this beer is a godsend. Says, you know, is it true that honey, honey being the main ingredient, it doesn't necessarily qualify it as a quote-unquote beer, but because of its importance to people with celiacs and other people who can't have gluten products, uh, it's good that it's out there. I don't think we, we ever disparaged the fact that it was out there. I think we were just sort of commenting on whether or not you could technically call it beer. Yeah. And well, we, were, we were wondering how good it could be, but then again, that you know, we haven't tried it, so we don't know. He also says, since we have listeners from Ireland, Netherlands, etc., celiac disease seems to be, for some reason, more widespread in Europe. You, could, you should put out a word on your podcast and see what folks worldwide may know about other gluten-free beers. Now they said they found another one called Bard's Tail. He says it's really quite drinkable. And the rumor is that there's a brewery in Italy ready to launch one. So, hmm. If anybody knows of any other gluten-free beers, by all means send it in and we'll report on it and get, get back to Matt from Pittsburgh. Chris writes in, on one of your recent shows, you read a letter where someone was looking for beers that were like the Lagunitas Brown Sugar. He would suggest Dogfish Head's India Brown Ale. If you can still be found, the Stone Anniversary from 2004. They're they're both good beers. I don't know if I'd really compare them to the brown sugar because it had so much of that sweet brown brown sugar. Yeah, brown sugar was a barley wine with with extra malt, really. It was a malty barley wine. Indian brown ale is 
it, it's more like an imperial stout than anything else. Um, and the Stone Seventh Anniversary was delicious. I still have a bottle of it, and uh, great stuff. But I wouldn't really compare it to the Brown Sugar either. I mean, I think you just got to go for other barley wines and see what's out there. Maybe some, maybe try a, a European barley wine. See if there's some more malty out there. Like try uh, Peter Ott or something like that. He also continues. You guys are wrong about bacon. Bacon is, <laughs> bacon is the finest meat available. I was disheartened to learn that the Harris Grill had a bacon night because I used to live, go there all the time when he lived in Pittsburgh. Now that I have moved away, they're having all-you-can-eat bacon. Again, this is what a friend told me. I don't know whether it's it's true or not that they had an all-you-can-eat bacon night, but uh, <laughs> it, that, that would seem to get expensive because bacon is pretty expensive stuff. Unless you make it yourself, which is not hard. It just requires equipment. And a pig. <laughs> yeah, and a pig. Patrick from Oklahoma writes that he's uh, not wanting to—he's uh, not wanting us to do all his research, but then again, he guesses that he does. So okay, because he's traveling to South America towards the end of the month, and he's asking us if we know of any good beers that will be in the Chile, Argentina, Paraguay, Uruguay, or Brazil areas. I don't know, Jeff. Nope, I'm reading it on. We're reading it on here because people can write in and tell us because I don't know of any good South American beers. Yeah. Let's move on to what beer am I? Okay. Got several people who uh, got this one right. The answer was Prankster Belgian Style Gold Nail from North Coast Brewing. The winners were intern Scott, Tom, Emily, and Matt. Well, let's talk about the beer. Prankster follows in the tradition of using a mixed culture of antique yeast strains that results in a floral nose, a full fruity flavor. And a clean finish. This is, of course, marketing material. It's a deceptive 7.6% alcohol. Rated 92 points from the Beverage Tasting Institute in Chicago. This week's What Beer Am I? From intern Scott. Okay, I'll do it this time. I am an imperial porter. I was made as a commemorative beer for a journalist who once said, I hate to advocate drugs, alcohol, violence, or insanity, but they've always worked for me. The artist that designed my label was Ralph Stedman. And there are 11 other beers in my litter. If you uh, want to write in and guess what what beer am I, you can send that to beer at craftbeerradio.com. Okay, I have a rant before we get on to the selling your beer segment. Here's the deal. I went down to the Dogfish Brew Pub in Maryland, and I had mentioned before that my parents had thought that when they went there before that the service wasn't that great. Well, I went down there, and actually the service was pretty good. We were pleasantly surprised by that. However, I was very disappointed by what they had available. Now, food-wise, it's not about the food. It's about the beer. The food was pretty pedestrian. It was pretty normal, standard stuff. Okay. But the beer that they had on tap was only their standards. 60-minute, 90-minute, uh, shelter, chicory stout. They had lawnmower. Okay. And, um, ra- and raison d'etre. They did not have a stock of any of their other beers. They had a whole listing of what their other beers were. The only two other beers you could get were vintage versions of Worldwide Stout, okay. one and two year, and their Lambic, their Peach Lambic. Okay. But you'd figure a Dogfish Head brew pub would have available at least bottled versions of the other beers they serve. Yeah, at least cases worth of it. I mean, this is Dogfish Head everywhere, Dogfish Head stuff. This is just a Dogfish Head place. But, and for not, them, but you couldn't get any of the Al Courant or anything cool like I that. Want, I wanted to get Al Courant desperately because I love it so much. I, I, I was desperately wanted to try it again. I couldn't even find it at D's. And I was like, I want to try this again. I figured Dogfish Head place. There's a great place to get it. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get that. Couldn't get Midas Touch. Couldn't get uh, Pangea. Couldn't get uh, Raison Dextra. 
Right. Couldn't get a worldwide stout. This the the, the newest worldwide stout. <laughs> I was I was really disappointed. Yeah, that's that's is disappointing. If I went, I'd expect us to find a lot of specialties on tap or just bottles of it. Yeah, I mean, at least the have it, if not have it on tap. Okay, maybe it's just not this the stuff is not all that popular, so you don't have it on tap. Mm-hmm. But at least have bottles of it. Yeah, that's weird. It's weird, and it's not right. It's, it's I really don't think that, that that's the right way for them to run that. Especially because if it, if it is about the beer, which a Dr. Shed play should expect it to be about the beer, you should be really about experimenting and about showing up the kind of different stuff you can do with beer, not just the standards. Mm-hmm. Sell her the stuff you can because there's plenty of stuff from Dr. Shed you can sell her. Weird. Very strange. That's my rant for, for the show. Other than that, like I said, the, the service was better. The food was okay. Mm-hmm. And the beers that we did have were, were very good. They had uh, we had a dogfish head. It was supposed to be a two year vintage, right? So you pay a little bit extra for it. It was only oh five. So um, <laughs> how is that a two year vintage? I, I don't know. But it was like twenty one percent alcohol. It was the, it this was year the, and last year. I don't know. <laughs> did they have any spirits there? Uh, yes, they did. They had some spirits. Did I didn't you, try any. I didn't try any. Okay. Let's move on to cellaring beer now. Yes. Okay, so we got that email from a listener who wanted to talk a little bit about cellaring beer. So I put together a little bit of no- a few notes here, mm-hmm. and uh, let's just go over. Okay, what kind of beer is cellarable? Yes, what what is cellarable? Be- well, cellarable means you can store it, yeah. and it will age and. It and we're talking about time. time, you know, talking about two years, five years, ten years, some beers mm-hmm. twenty five years. We're looking at those kind of time frames, and the beers are going to be on the right. short end. Some will be on the long end, and. And if a beer isn't cellarable, it's going to oxidize quickly and, and start to taste bad. Yeah, it's just going to degrade. It's a filtered beer that doesn't have the yeast in it. It is something you do not want to cellar. A light-flavored beer like a Hefeweizen has lots of yeast in it, right? But uh-huh. it's not a cellarable beer. Right. Most beers are designed to be drank fresh. 90% of the styles, 80% of the styles should be drank fresh. The kind of beers we're looking that should be drank or can be cellar, we're looking at strong beers. Barley wines, strong ales, some stouts, heavier stouts and imperial stouts. Um, Belgian Trappist and Abbey beers, mm-hmm. and uh, Hooza's, which is a, a Belgian Lambic. Now, I guess by this you'd, you'd, you'd assume I, the, the higher the alcohol gets, the the more likely you can sell her the beer. Certainly, exactly. There's a, only a few strong lagers that you can sell her. You know, you got Sammy Claus and a couple of the Doppelbachs, but other than that, maybe a Weissenbach or something. That's about like Imperial Pilsner? You know, that might be a, an exception to the rule. That might be strong enough to sell her, Imperial Pilsner. So, you know, those crazy new styles. Mm-hmm. There might be a couple more lagers to, to uh, sell her. Now, why is it that yeast is important? What does the yeast do? And does it actually, like, the yeast is, is technically dormant. It's not completely dormant, okay. though. At cellar temperatures, we're talking about 50, 55, 60 degrees sometimes. They're in there. They're still slightly active, so they're maintaining the you know getting rid of any oxygen that might come into the beer. They're um, basically just doing maintenance and upkeep on the beer and keeping it. The beers will change slightly over time. We've talked in the past where when you have a cellared beer, it'll age and it'll mature and change. Mm-hmm. If you keep a beer at refrigerator temperatures, it's kind of in suspended animation. It'll stay there just about how it was the day you put it in the entire time it's in the fridge. It, well, that's when the yeast is dormant. On a high alcohol beer, it's still a, a lager would still. Yeah, you really don't want to keep 
lighter, lighter, unsellable beers in fridges indefinitely because those will start to. They won't degrade as fast as if they were in a cellar, but they they're not going. You know, they're not going to be awesome. Remember what happened to that Guinness that you had in your in your fridge for yeah, two years? That was a long time. What can I use for a beer cellar? The uh, keys here are cool and dark. Typical cellar temperatures are between cool, but not cold. We should point out. Yeah, we're looking at fifty to fifty-five. Six, this one, this one guy that I found said fifty-five to sixty degrees, which seemed rather seemed on the warm side from what I've seen in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been looking at the low to mid fifties instead of the mid to high fifties. Steady temperature is better than fluctuating temperatures. So if you're going to have a a cellar that's going to be at sixty degrees and more steady than one that's going to be at fifty to sixty to fifty to sixty to fifty to sixty then you probably want to stay with the steady temperature. It stresses the yeast less, and so you have a better overall cellar for beer. I like to say do the best you reasonably can. Not everyone can have a 50 to 50 degrees cellar that's dark and perfect for everything. Right. You know, I have a closet downstairs in my basement. The temperature fluctuates. It never gets down to 50 degrees, but it's the best I have. Yeah. And when you don't have an ideal thing, you just can't cellar beer as long. It'll cellar some. But you can't expect to put away a bottle of Thomas Hardy's Old Ale in a cellar like that and open it in 15, 20 years and have it be perf- as good as it was if it was in a good cellar. You say cool, you say cool and dark. Dark, obviously, because you don't want light to have any impact on the bottles or whatever. Right. Since they are bottled and pressurized, humidity and stuff shouldn't matter? Humidity only matters in one thing, and um, I don't want to get to that right now. Okay. Bottle storage, upright or horizontal? Everyone knows when you store wine, you store horizontal. Well, that actually gets to the humidity thing right now. And that's to keep the wine in contact with the cork, keeps it moist, keeps it from leaking. With a beer, if it's a cap beer, you want to store it upright. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is when the beer is upright, the surface area that's touching the, the air inside the bottle is only the size of a dime or so right. because it's in the neck right there. And that's ideal. When you lay it down, there's a much larger surface area touching the, the air in the bottle. Corked, corked beer bottles, you see split opinions for. People say lay them down to keep the, the beer in contact with the cork and keep it moist. But a lot of corks are synthetic or they're coated, and you really don't have to worry about them drying out in a cellar. Not even over 15, 20 years? You could. It's kind of a judgment call. Right. You're going to have to figure out which is better because 20 years of more surface area in there might be a, a problem too. Now... I guess every five years you go and tip it and get a little liquid on it. Now, if your it. cellar is a refrigerator, then I would probably be more likely to lay it down because you know how refrigerators work. The compressor takes the humidity out mm-hmm. of the air when it's working, and that'll be an added thing trying to dry out that cork. So you, you, know, you might have more problems standing a, cor- a corked bottle up in a refrigerated environment Versus just a naturally cool cellar. But like we say, we re- don't recommend refrigerators for cellaring anyway. That's really not a problem. Um, it just won't age. Well, you want a temperature-controlled refrigerator. You want to get one of those homebrew temperature controllers. Oh, okay. So you can set it at 55 degrees. Okay, so it's so one of those, not one that, that's used for storing food, but you set it up to... Yeah, a beer cellar fridge. Right. That's a good option, too. It uses electricity. If you can do it naturally, then that's the way to go. But, you know, dig a, dig a root cellar outside, you know, type thing. But otherwise, you want to get a temperature controller for your refrigerator or deep freeze and use that for um, your cellar. Know the history of your beer. Buying a beer that's a couple years old at a liquor store or beer distributor 
might not be the best way right. to get a jump start on cellaring. You don't know how much light, what temperature it's been stored at. So buy your beer fresh and lay it down yourself. Make sure you lay down more than one beer from a vintage because you're going to want to try them over time. Mm-hmm. So if you just buy one bottle, if it's anything short of Utopias, then get a several bottles of yeah. it. And uh, don't be afraid to drink the beer when it tastes great. You know, don't try to put, you know, if you're tasting this beer, if you got a six pack of it and you're drinking it every year and in the fourth year it tastes great, you don't know if it's going to go downhill in years yeah. five and six. So finish, no, don't be afraid to finish it off in the fourth year. Sounds good. That's all about cellaring beer. And so let's move on to our beer of the night. The style tonight is milk and sweet stouts. They're basically stouts that have a large amount of residual dextrins and unfermented sugars that give the beer more body and sweetness. It counters the roasted character. Milk stouts are very similar to sweet stouts, but brewers add unfermentable sugars, usually lactose, to the brew kettle to add some body and some, t- and some sweetness. For the, uh, the beers for this range, we're looking at an alcohol by volume of 4 to 7%. For food pairings, we're typically looking at chocolate dessert-type foods which yeah. is such sweet stouts yeah because they're so sweet right you know they would interfere even with like the multi taste of, of or uh, roasted taste and stuff like that glassware for this one's a normal pint glass cellar temperature you only want to sell these beers if they're a higher alcohol version of it and we're looking at 45 degrees or so for the cellaring and for serving we're looking at 50 to 55 degrees uh, some of the attributes we'll find in this beer for the aroma we'll have a mild roasted grain sometimes with a coffee or Chocolate-like notes, an impression of cream-like sweetness often exists. Fruitiness can be low to moderately high. These beers are typically really black and really, really opaque. With all that undissolved, unfermentable sugar, especially the milk stouts, the lactose, they're usually jet black and, you know, really, you can't see into the beer at all. No Mm. highlights or anything. Uh, For the flavor... So there's um, no milk in a milk stout. There's lactose. But there's lactose, which is the milk sugar. Right. The uh, dark roasted grains and malts dominate the flavor, as in a dry stout. Provide coffee and or chocolate flavors. Hop bitterness is moderate, medium to high sweetness, often from the addition of the lactose. These are going to be really full-bodied beers. They're going to match that, how thick and black these things look. Yeah, I wouldn't expect much in the way of hoppiness, because I think that if you get too hoppy with the sweetness, it's really going to counter. You don't want a bitterness to, to really over, overwhelm your sweetness, because these are expected to be sweet beers. Our first beer is the Mackeson Triple X Stout. This is available year-round from London, UK. It's the the brewery is the Whitbread PLC, which is part of InBev. Yeah. Uh, brewery was started in 1742. Now, we did have uh, one or two people saying that we need to look at some non-American beers. Well, here's one right here. Wow. That's it. It's very candy-like sweetness coming from even not not. I don't know. If candy-like is is the right word because it's not quite the Belgian candy that you sort of. Yeah, get. it's um, it's a chocolatey. It's like a milk chocolate type. Uh, yeah, it has a creamy aroma that it said that we may smell. That's what it is. It's a creamy aroma mm-hmm. mixed with some roast. It's not. I guess it's not super chocolatey in the aroma, but the roast and the cream makes you. I like the chocolate milk thing that that that's uh, or or chocolate milkshake. I think that's mm-hmm. you know kind of what it smells like. It's uh it's it's dark. It's real dark. Yeah, there's no ruby highlights. I told you these things are pitch black. Yeah. Look at that. No highlights or anything. And um the, the head is dark. I mean <laughs> the head is is not 
as as light as, as other beers, and it's bad of fingers where the head is nice, stable head here, creamy head. Yeah. The sweetness tastes a lot like it smells. Mm-hmm. It has that kind of um, chocolate milkish. The flavor of the mouthfeel it's it's a little drier than you would think. I mean, because we're saying chocolate milk when we're mm-hmm. describing it, and it's not it's a lot drier than a chocolate milk is. It's not sweet like that. Yeah, but there is sweetness there. But there is some the bitterness from the malts. It's not quite astringent, but it, it's dry in that the, the dark malt roasted yeah. flavor there. It's it's a little it's a little bit of um, I guess sort of a, a, a bitter stickiness that kind of middle of the back of your tongue. It's, it's not in a pe- stickiness has an unpleasant connotation, but I don't think it's necessarily unpleasant. It's just it, it, the, the way it kind of separates itself out from the rest of the beer. Feels somewhat sticky. I'm happy that this is a good bottle of Mackesons. The last one I had, I had it at uh, the Elephant and Castle restaurant. Mm. It was horrible. Really? It was so bad. I'm like, I thought Mackesons was good. I remember <laughs> it being good. And I remember it being like this, but the last one I had was, it was just bitter and astringent and it was just not stored hmm. properly. Hmm. It's too bad. But this one, like, say, is stored properly and they, they do give you a nice brown bottle, so not going to be skunked or anything. And even so, with this dark, it'd be hard to skunk it. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of hops in here either. Like we said, the bitterness comes, it feels like it comes mostly from the malt. Yeah, you got a lot of the dark malt bitterness. I'm sure the hops are supporting there, but mm-hmm. there's so much of the, the lactose and the fullness. It's going to be hard to pick out a particular hop bittering. It's just a supporting note in this beer. This is a, a beer that I think we like, but it's also. Something that's that's not typical. I don't know if you're going to be able to get people really interested in this kind of beer who are not experimental. This is definitely a dessert beer. This would go great with ice cream, mm-hmm. um, some kind of cake or something. Maybe chocolate cake might be a little too much of the the chocolate. <laughs> but um, yeah, this would not go well with burgers and hot dogs at the game. It's very much something that you want to have at the end of your day with some sweet stuff. It's relatively low in alcohol. It's about 4.2 or something like that. So you probably wouldn't be able to taste it anyway. This is the Mackesons Triple X Milk Stout. This beer is brewed in Cincinnati. Really? Yeah. that's. I forgot about that. I think it says on the bottle here, but I know that uh, InBev makes Mackesons in Cincinnati. It's actually a domestic beer. So it shouldn't be that hard to find around here. No. It should be, you'd be, able, should be able to find it all over the country. And hopefully our, our friends in Australia, England... And uh, other destinations are able to find this beer. And so they can stop yelling at us for drinking just American beers. <laughs> here it says, right here, it's uh, Whiprid's Brewmasters, Whiprid PLC, London, England, by the Whiprid Beer Company, Cincinnati, Ohio, USA. Well, this is interesting. Two versions are brewed, a 3.75% alcohol by volume version for the United Kingdom and a 5% alcohol by volume version for the American market. So I guess this one's five here, huh? Wow. That's interesting. It's kind of like the, um, the Scottish ales. The, the domestic Scottish ales are less body, lower in alcohol than the, even the, the lightest export you can get from Bellhaven or anywhere. I wonder why that is. Because they think, well, Americans love yeah. their alcohol. It might I mean, be uh, traditional for shipping. Alcohol, higher alcohol stays better. Oh. You know, that's why IPAs But it's brewed in Cincinnati. Just thinking, I guess America is a larger landmass. The ones that are imported, you know, they come across on ships. The higher alcohol, it's just like the IPAs and the Imperial Stouts. Mm-hmm. Bump up the alcohol so it's a little more, it's in better shape when it gets to its destination. Being brewed in Cincinnati, it didn't have to travel too far. Yeah, so, so it certainly was in a good shape when it got here. Definitely. 
That was Young, or that was a Mackesson's Triple X Stout. Next beer is Lancaster Milk Stout. This is actually an American beer, Lancaster Brewery, right here in Pennsylvania. And everyone who could have got the last one, who's out of the area, sorry, you're not going to be able to get this one unless you're in Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, they only they they only distribute in Pennsylvania, right? Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe maybe just around the area. area but five point three percent available year round. They use Cascade, Styrian, and Golding hops. Malt is two row caramel one twenty chocolate black and roasted barley. Lots of malts, lots of hops. Of course, with a nice cascading head, a big wow. Guinness-like. It's just dark, dark, dark. Brewery started in 1995, and they had a production of 8,000 barrels. Yep, there's no highlights in this one either. The head is a little bit lighter in color, but it's still a deep brown. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. That's more of, um, more but, of a roasty smell, more of a roasty aroma, but still sweet. Yeah, you're getting more roast, not nearly as much of the cream aroma that we had in this first one. And the aroma is roasty. It's a typical porter, stout-type smell. A little lighter. Yeah, I suppose. I think, you know, we're, we're, the, the last aroma we had was so sweet that this one just smells <laughs> roasty by comparison. So this one has a lighter mouthfeel than the Mackesons does. Then have the same kind of sweetness, too. There's more, the, the hoppy flavor is coming through more on the sides of your tongue. Like I say, lighter mouthfeel, not quite as um, sort of viscous yeah. as the Mackesons. The, um, not getting as much bitterness from the, the malts, but you are getting some hot bitterness in there. Mm-hmm. The, the, the comparison of sweetness is, is big. I mean, this is a milk stout, but it's not nearly as sweet. Yeah, I think I'm able to taste the most sweetness. When you bring it into your mouth, agitate it a lot with your tongue okay. before you swallow it. See if it, it, you, feel, you feel the creaminess mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. and you get a little more sweetness when you're agitating it. That's how you find it. Yeah. <laughs> You're also, of course, when you agitate it, you, you, you significantly lower the carbonation. It does sort of, because of that, it, it gets sort of thicker in your mouth because it, it's like like almost nitrogenating it. Mm-hmm. When you, this may prove my point. What's that? The, the more hoppiness you try to contrast with the sweetness, the, the, the less it really goes together. I, I guess you're right. This one seems like it's not... The Maccasins was trying to be a sweet cream stout, cream milk stout. This one seems like it's a, a dry American stout with a little bit of creaminess to it. Yeah. So it seems like they had different targets for what they wanted to be. And, you know, the, the first the first taste of the Maccasins, I wasn't quite prepared for it. I was a little off-put by it. But by the end of it, I really liked it. And now here comes something that gives you this more of its hot bitterness. We almost should have tried this before the Maccasins. Yeah. The Maccasins was, if we knew... If you're t- if you're doing this at home and you're gonna go out and buy these beers, I would I would start with this one. Well, we haven't tried the other ones, but yeah, but definitely do the Maccasins after this one and any of the other drier ones because it again that is very well could be the dessert of this show, mm-hmm. the sweetest one at the end. So, and maybe it, it's bad for me to um, just to say this is a bad beer cause, or, or, or to imply that because that's not what I'm trying to imply, but. Uh, the contrast between the major sweetness and now this hobby bitterness doesn't quite work for me. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, and, and it's nothing against Lancaster or, or the beer. Unlike other shows we've done in the past, here are beers that really don't work too well together. I probably would, personally would like to see it a little more roasty because you're getting a little bit of that, that dry, I hate to say it, but I hate to say astringent because astringent is such a bad flavor, but mm-hmm. it's, it's tending toward astringency. 
instead of tending towards the roastiness. And I think that the hops could be dialed down here too. I think that the bitterness is is a is a little too, a little too much. The hop flavor, a little too much. I want more roastiness here. I want to bring out more of the sweetness. I suppose that would be one way to go with the beer. I don't know if I'd. I see what you're saying. Compared to the Maccasins, this yeah. could be closer to the Maccasins if you took some of the bitterness, the hop bitterness out of it. On its own, it's, I'm trying to decide if I think it, if it's a bad thing. I don't know. It's it's hard because I would like to see something creamier and sweeter mm-hmm. in this beer. But I don't. Again, I don't want to c- yeah. compare it too closely to the Maccasins. But I don't know. We'll have to see how the night goes. But maybe that is the ideal milk stout. Well, we're about to find out. <laughs> beer is twenty-two IBUs, so it's not all that bitter. You know, for all me talking about bitterness and stuff like that, it really isn't that bitter. Distribution area search database on website. Yeah, they have one of those ones where you have to pick your state and then it shows you the distributors where I would have to pick 50 states to be able to tell you if they have a distributor or not. So go to LancasterBrewing.com and search for yourself. That's kind of annoying, especially for a place like Lancaster, which I assume doesn't have as high of a distribution area. I could be wrong. And they had all 50 states in their pull-down menu. Yeah. And you know, 40 of them are going to be blank, which is really annoying. Again, that's nothing on the beer. That's more of a web design choice. Our third beer of the night is Bell's Special Double Cream Stout. Now, this is a beer I've never had, so this is the one that I'm looking forward to tonight to see what this thing's like. This is a milk sweet stout from Bell's Brewery, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Winter seasonal, available November to March. Has an alcohol of 7.5%. Bell's started in 1985. They're at bellsbeer.com. They have an annual production of 22,000 barrels. They have some very, very good beers. I just had their Java Stout the other day. Oh, man. Yeah, there's a lot of coffee in that one. Man, I love a coffee beer. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and that, that's the coffee I love because it's like it's that roast, it's that coffee smell mm-hmm. flavor. I think it's too coffee tasting. Really? really. Oh, I love it. I'll, I'll drink it on occasion, but I, I don't love it. Love it. I like to taste it. But like I said, I I would much rather split a bottle with two or three people mm. than drink it myself. That's a beer I know I can't drink at night because I just can feel the caffeine. Oh, okay. Not getting much aroma out of here, actually. Oh, there's something weird. Fish? <laughs> yeah, something a little vaguely fishy. Okay. Um, the aroma on this beer is it's very subtle. And I'm smelling something fishy. And Greg kind of smells it, too, now that I've planted that into his brain. Right. Something oily, I guess you could say. And the reason why we're concerned is because this came from the place that Jeff has got some other beers that were skunked before. And because we think that maybe their beer was donated to. Uh, I hate to plug them and then tell them the beer has been mishandled again. So maybe I just won't mention the name tonight and go talk to the owner and see what we can do about how he's handling beer. I think actually it's airing out a little bit. I don't know. Is that a weird manifestation of oxidation? Maybe. It ends well, but it doesn't start with much. And I'm wondering whether that's due to the beer itself or whether that's due to some oxidation or something else. I think it ends nice and sweet. It's got a velvety texture to it, which I enjoy. Yeah, nice mouthfeel. Um, I think it's just a subtle beer. Yeah. The aroma, I think, is there a little bit. I'm not getting that fish smell anymore, or at least my nose is ignoring that smell now. It does finish nice, but it's a smooth taste the whole way mm-hmm. through. 
there's not really like there's no intense malt roastiness at the beginning. It's kind of just smooth the whole way through, and then just sweet. There's at some the creaminess end. at the end, and creaminess that leads into a sweetness, residual sweetness. Now, this beer probably doesn't have lactose in it. It probably is just a sweet stout, which has a lot of unfermentable sugars. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, the more I drink it, the more it, it, it's coming out. It's um, appealing to me. It, it's sweeter like the back sense. It doesn't really have much of a hop aroma or a hop of flavor. You know, it says on the label here, there's a blend of 10 different malts. Double is an incredibly rich stout composed of dark, sweet, and smooth tones intermingled with soft, roasty finish. Well, intermingled. I can smell the aroma now. Now that it's aired out a little bit, I don't got any of that fishiness for sure. And it's it's a, it's a lot more what you expect. You get some yeah. roastiness. You get some uh, sweetness in there. So the aroma is better than you know when we were worried at the beginning. I wonder if there was just some initial kind of flavors that needed to rise out of the top and, and get loose. And some volatile funk that yeah. needed to go away. I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, we did get an email a couple weeks ago. Someone said, we're too fast to dismiss skunked beers. And we should... he may have a point. <laughs> well, some of the beers we don't. Were some, some of them were, were very skunked. He, he mentioned in an example, he had a skunked uh, Sam Adams or Samuel Smith's Winter Welcome. That's a very malty beer. Mm-hmm. And you, know, a very, you can't skunk that beer as bad as you can skunk an IPA with all the hops in there. Yeah. And we had two skunked IPAs. So they were not going to... Clear out as much as, and they were really skunked. So. Yeah, they were they were very bad. I mean, you should you shouldn't have tried them because they were pretty bad. I don't know if this beer needed to breathe a little bit, or if I just had to get used to it after the Lancaster. But it, it's more roast is coming through. Mm-hmm. The first sip, and you taste like, well, there's beer, but where are the flavors? I can't find the flavors. This is actually really appealing. And now, to me now. the flavors are coming through. Yeah, yeah, it's really engaging us. Nice roasty finish, like it said. And the sweetness isn't isn't overpowering. Doesn't have the same kind of bitterness that Mackesons does. It's just, it's really just smooth. I may even like this more once it gets down. Once it gets you know. Yeah, it it took a while for it to us to start enjoying it, or for it to to turn into a good beer. But it certainly. So did we turn recommend into a good beer. you you know almost like a wine. You let this one sit a bit. At least the bottle that we had. Yeah. This is good. This is Bell's Brewing Company's. <laughs> Special double cream stout. Bell's, you know, they Bell's needs to go on, my, on our list of of stuff that you know companies that when they make a beer do a lot of stuff right. Yeah, I mean and Anderson Valley's on that. Great Divide is on that. Oh yeah, Bell's is in my. I mean, we might not talk about them as much, and maybe we should pay some more, a little more attention to them. But yeah, they're certainly they do stuff right. They make a bunch of stouts. If you're not familiar with Bell's, they make. Like four different stouts in their regular lineup. Yeah. What are the brewery makes four different stouts? And with their specialties included, they probably make like seven or eight different stouts. They have a cherry stout. They have the Java stout. They have the Expedition. Oh, Kalamazoo I love, stout. I love that. Mm. Kalamazoo stout, which is a it's a dry stout, but very roasty. So it's like, the think Guinness, but unbelievably yeah. good, right? Yeah, I mean. That's the, the Kalamazoo. Dee's has a whole bunch of... Uh, bells and I really grab now. I really just want to grab a whole bunch of them now because they're all there. They have a porter, brown ale. Their uh, their biggest selling beer is actually their summer American wheat, which is my least favorite beer. For really, them. isn't that always the way it works? <laughs> that was Bell's special double cream stout. Our last beer of the night is Young's double chocolate stout. This is uh, shall know, we do the can or the bottle? Let's do the can. Because the can is a nitrogenated one. We'll do the bottle on the post show. 
This one is available pretty much everywhere. It's uh, from Young Company in London, youngs.co.uk. This is created by Jamie in Charlottesville. Thank you very much. It is a sweet stout, brewed year-round, 5.2% alcohol, hot with uh, fuggle and goldings, malted with pale and crystal malt, pale ale and crystal malt, chocolate malt, and a special blend of sugars. So there we got the nitro widget ping pong ball, and Greg has a wonderful cascading head on it. Yeah. This is like, you know, like the Guinness cans, all the other nitrogenated cans. That What else is in that? The um, There's a Beamish and a uh, is that yellow Wexford one? or something makes one. You know, what kills me is Guinness also, we're going to wait for these to settle because you're supposed to wait for them to settle in your glass a little bit. What kills me is that Guinness has this bottle now, you know, the bottled version. That you're With supposed the, to, the rocket widget. Well, you're supposed to drink out of the bottle. Right. It, the widget actually disperses the nitrogen slowly or something. Uh-huh. But they're just all screwed up because now they're promoting you drinking it ice cold. Ice cold and this out of the bottle or something. <laughs> so it's it's all marketing stuff. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you, you want to brew. You, you, you're not going to be able to smell it in the bottle. You're not going to get the full you know flavor that you get when it, you know, it really comes at your entire nose slash mouth besides oh. just in, in your mouth. This has a nice aroma to it. It's um, very chocolatey. Yeah, chocolate, uh, a little bit of sugary. This is actually, this is a chocolate stout. Like, Booker's Black Chocolate Stout does not have chocolate. But this does have chocolate, right? Yeah, yeah this is real dark chocolate and chocolate essence. Mm, that That is a great smell. And uh, you can you can pretty, pretty sure this is going to be a velvety texture because of the nitrogen. Yeah, the, the head on it is creamy. It's super creamy, yeah. And the whole beer is going to taste that way. It's just going to be super smooth. Yeah, the beer is too smooth. <laughs> it tastes like milk. It has a mouthfeel of milk. It's really chocolatey. I mean, you can definitely taste the yeah. chocolate there. Um, Since it has a mouthfeel of milk and it's that chocolate, it's almost like drinking chocolate quick. <laughs> it's, it's got a little bit of uh, bitterness from uh, really a, a, more of a fuggle flavor, I think, than anything else. But it's true. I mean, you really, you're not getting much in the way of traditional carbonation at all. Yeah, it's so creamy. It's I don't know. I think I'm looking more forward to the bottle. <laughs> Tastes good. There's a lot of sweetness there, but it's with the nitro. It, it there's not much depth. You know, this mm-hmm. is going to taste pretty much the same from beginning to end, and we're not going to have much to say. It's very milky, and there's some sweetness there, and a, just a pinch of bitterness. Yeah, it doesn't feel. Uh, like we're used to with these other beers uh, that, you know, pretty, not, I wouldn't say high carbonation, medium carbonation with, with some good mouthfeels. This one is, of course, the smoothest, but that's all it is, just smooth. It's drinkable. Yeah, oh yeah. If there's ever been a chugging beer for craft beer radio. <laughs> but when, when it's out of your mouth and you just sort of breathe over your mouth, you get chocolate. You get so much chocolate. Yeah, yeah chocolate in this is real good. That's what we'll have to do for a show. We're going to have to revisit this one and do a chocolate beer show. <laughs> chocolate Bock, Rogue's Chocolate Stout. Uh-huh. Rogue's Chocolate Stout, which actually has real chocolate in it, too. The Baker's Chocolate. This beer, you know, beers actually have chocolate in them. That'd be a cool show to do. Wouldn't be our first time revisiting because we revisited uh, Stone's Imperial. A little bit more on the expensive side show since that Sam Adams <laughs> Chocolate Box, 25 bucks a bottle. Sometimes you got to make sacrifices. Yeah. Well, it's now about that time of the day where we rank. So let's rank. And Jeff, I'll let you go first. Okay. I'm not going to take much time 
sorting this one out, I am going to... No, actually, the last place one is going to be the tough one. Number one, Maccasin's Triple X Milk Stout. Okay. It was good shape this tonight. It was creamy. It was just the dessert beer. Number two, the Bell's Double Cream Stout. We were a little worried about it at first, but it... it it solidified up, turned into a good, nice, roasty, yep. good-tasting stout. Number three, I like the flavor of the Young's, but I don't like the trill on it. I just don't like how smooth it is. The Lancaster took a bit of getting used to, but that might have been because we had it right after the Maccasins. I'm going to abstain from ranking these last two. <laughs> oh, you got to rank them. You can't um, abstain. No, 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 I won't let you. Okay. Um... Different attributes on these two beers. Yeah. Well, because the milk stuff was a little bit astringent bitterness. The Young's, the things I don't like, the milk stuff was a little bit almost astringent. The Young's is just creamy and one-dimensional. Okay, you go to a bar. The only thing they have to drink is the Young's or the Lancaster. I'm going to drink the Lancaster, but that might be politics, too. That's the local brewery and not the worldwide conglomerate. I'll put the Lancaster slightly okay. ahead of the Young's. We'll re-rank the Youngs in the bottle in the post-show, and I expect it will be higher than the Youngs in the can. Okay, my ranking is different. Bell's, at, at the first taste, wasn't really sure, but I felt kind of the same way with the Maccasins, too. Okay. And now, they both grew on me big time, but I think that I really like that Bell's after a while. Okay. Bell's goes number one for me right after it. I mean, just right after it. Big old Maccasins. Slap that down there. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. You won't be disappointed. Then I'd say, you know, it's just that the Lancaster, that hoppiness with all these, if I wanted a sweet stout, the Lancaster wouldn't have delivered. Right. Yeah, and I agree. why I'm going to put Young's in front of it. Okay. So Young's goes and then Lancaster. All right. Excellent. These nitro bubbles are just turning me off on this beer. It's just... It's hiding too much of the flavor. That's what it does to me, these nitro bubbles. It just hides the flavor. You know, if you do a Guinness Extra Stout versus a Guinness Pub Draft, completely different beers yeah. because of the let's see, carbonation. And I think the Extra Stout is better. The, the stout that's yeah, not nitrogenated, I agree. But you, you're mostly going to find it nitrogenated. You're going to find the nitrogenated the dra Guinness Draft in a bottle instead right. of the Guinness Extra Stout. Guinness Extra Stout is the one with the short stubby bottle with the yellow label. Mm -hmm. And the Guinness Draft in a bottle... Is the one that looks like the can. It's a it's a curvy bottle, like a Coke bottle. Right. Has a uh, shrunk wrap label on it that is black with a white top. And if you get it on tap, if you get Young's Double Chocolate on, on tap, it's going to be nitrogenated. It's going to be a nitrogenated tap. Always. Okay, All that's right. it for this episode of Craft Beer Radio. Thank you for listening. I don't think we've had any audio skipping this week. I've been keeping an eye on the, uh, the monitor, and it seems that the extra RAM on the laptop is helped. If you want to send us some feedback, email us at beer at craftbeerradio.com. We'll see you again next week. Next week, we're going to be doing wit beer. Big change up from this. Oh, wow. And uh, if you want to see which wit beers we're tasting, check out our website. They're in the upcoming beers. Thank you very much. See you next week, guys. That's all for Craft Beer Radio. If you have any questions or comments, email us at beer at craftbeerradio.com. And feel free to send us an audio comment in MP3. Our intro and closing music is Lameface by Feeble Wiener. You can find a link to Feeble Wiener on our website. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Check out craftbeerradio.com for more information. Yeah, yeah, yeah.